Thank you, guys. We're here today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, an event that happened almost 2,000 years ago, but literally changed the course of human history and plays a tremendous part of uh, even our lives to this very day. Uh, today, we're going to look at uh, the event of the resurrection from three dimensions. We're going to look at it in 3D. We're going to look at it from the past, the future, and the present. Uh, the first dimension is the proof of the resurrection. You know, Jesus made outrageous claims when he was here on earth. Uh, he said things like, I am God, you need to worship me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets into heaven except through me. I am the doorway to heaven. And he didn't say those things just once. He said them over and over, multiple times. Now that in itself is not particularly unique. Uh, down through history, there have been many people who have claimed to be God or claimed to be the doorway to God. But what made Jesus Christ different from everyone else who claimed to be God is Jesus Christ proved that what he said was actually true. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to prove it to you. He said, I'm going to let them put me to death, not just die for five minutes on the table and then be resuscitated. That's not a resurrection. That's a resuscitation. Jesus said, I'm going to die and I'm going to be dead for three days. I'm going to be sealed in a tomb. And then I'm going to come back to life, and you will know that the things that I've told you are true. Now, he, again, didn't make these claims just once, over and over and over again. In fact, everybody that day who had listened to Jesus had heard him say many times, I'm going to let them kill me, and then I'm going to come back to life. Three days later, I'll be resurrected. Now, when Jesus first started making these predictions, he, he would talk about them in kind of a vague way. Now, he'd use metaphors and parables and stories. You didn't pick up on what he meant unless you were really paying attention. But as it got closer and closer to the crucifixion and the resurrection, he got very, very specific so that everybody would know what he was saying. Let me give you a couple of examples here of the metaphor. Uh, early on, Jesus said, Just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and nights, so I will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus said, just as Jonah was in that whale for three days, I'm going to be in the grave for three days, and then I'm going to come back. Another time, he's talking to the religious leaders, and he says, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. And they replied, it took 46 years to build this temple. You know, they think he's talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem. And you're going to raise it in three days? Scripture says, but the temple he had spoken of was his own body. So he starts off speaking in parables and metaphors and stories. As he gets closer and closer, he starts saying stuff like this. Jesus told them the Son of Man, that's how he referred to himself, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He will be killed, but three days later he will be raised from the dead. Now when he said this, did, did they believe him? No. Not even his disciples, not even his closest followers believed him. In fact, when he said this stuff, the Bible says their hearts were filled with grief because all they heard was that I'm going to die part. The fact that I'm going to be resurrected in three days, that didn't really connect with them. Now the week before Jesus is crucified, in graphic words he says exactly what's going to happen to him. This is in Matthew chapter 20, a week before the crucifixion. Jesus says, when we get to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. And they will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked and whipped and crucified. 
but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. See, this is the proof of the resurrection. The proof is Jesus proved he was God. He said, I'm going to let them kill me. I'm going to be dead for three days, and then I'm going to come back, and you will know then that what I have told you is the truth. And this claim was so well known. This wasn't something that was just known in his inner circle. This was known by even his critics and his enemies. You know, they all knew that Jesus had claimed over and over, look, they're going to kill me, I'm going to come back. In fact, the day after they killed him, the guys who had him killed went to the Roman governor, they went to Pilate, and here's what they said. Next day, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate, the governor, and they told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver said while he was still alive. He said, after three days, I will be raised from the dead. So they'd heard him say it. So, Your Honor, we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing the body, then telling everybody that he'd come back to life. You know, they, they heard what he said. They didn't believe it. But they knew that if they didn't do something and the disciples, some fanatic came in and stole the body, then they could say, hey, we saw him resurrected. You don't get to see him, but we saw him. Then they'd be worse off than they were before. So they came up with this plan. Pilate said, okay, take some guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb. They put a Roman seal around the tomb that could not be broken, and they posted guards to protect it. The irony of that always gets me. I mean, they posted living guards to keep a dead guy in the grave. I mean, I just think that's just, you know, they didn't want Jesus getting out, and they also didn't want his disciples getting in. Because everybody knew his claim. Not just his followers, but even the Romans, even his critics. But Jesus Christ kept his word, and he came back to life. And that's why two-thirds of the world's population is celebrating Easter this weekend. Now, a lot of people don't understand how many proofs Jesus actually gave when he came back to life. You know, some people think that he just showed up on Easter morning, surprise, and, you know, then went off to heaven. You know, that he just appeared sort of like a ghost or something. That is not what happened. In fact, Christ stayed on earth for 40 days after the resurrection. He was walking around, he was meeting people, he was talking to them. Uh, He was seen by many different people, many different times, in many different places. He wasn't a ghost or a specter or a hologram or a vision. I mean, they talked to him. They hugged him. They touched him. He cooked a meal for him one time. Jesus had a party with 500 people one time. I mean, Acts chapter 1, it says, For 40 days after his death, Jesus appeared to many people many times in many ways that proved beyond doubt that he really was alive. They saw him and talked with him about the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians, Paul gives a list of witnesses who saw Christ. He says, Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, and then he was raised from the dead on the third day. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve apostles. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died by now. And so Paul's saying, there are 500 eyewitnesses out there. Most of them are still alive. You know, go talk to them. See what they have to say. You'll find out the truth about Jesus. Then he was seen by James, and later he was seen by all the apostles. Last of all, I saw him too. You know, Jesus didn't just show up to a few people and then leave. He walked around town. He walked around. He was in Galilee. He, he was around for 40 days. That's why... 
within 15 years after the resurrection. That's why the city of Jerusalem, a city of over 200,000, that's why that, that city had over 100,000 people who believed in Jesus Christ. 15 years after the resurrection, over half the city of Jerusalem believes in Jesus. Why? Because the proof was so great. It was undeniable. So many eyewitnesses had seen him. You know, if I said today that before I came over to church, I stopped over to Hy-Vee this morning and I had breakfast with the Queen of England. Okay? Yeah, that would be your response. You know, most of you, oh, Kelly's had too much cough syrup. <laughs> yeah. But if 500 eyewitnesses said, yeah, we saw her too. She's been in town for over a month. In fact, we had dinner with her one night. She gave a speech over here at the community center. 500 people have seen her. You know, at that point, it becomes believable. You know, it's incontrovertible proof. There's no court in the world that wouldn't accept the testimony of 500 eyewitnesses and just say, case closed, it's done, it's over. I mean, if you doubt something that 500 eyewitnesses will testify to, you're the one with the problem. Now, the resurrection happened. And that event split history into B.C. and A.D. Jesus proved he was who he said he was. But that's actually part of the problem. Because most people, that's all they know about Easter. All they know about Easter are just the black and white facts. Oh, I believe Jesus was who he said he was. He's the Son of God, come to earth. He died on the cross for my sins, rose from the dead. You know, too many people are simply Christmas and Easter Christians. It's the only two Bible stories they know. You know, they believe Jesus came at Christmas. They even believe that he was resurrected at Easter. You know, as pastors, we call them poinsettia and lily people. You know, that's all I know about the Christian faith. Go to church twice a year, hear two stories. That's it. But the problem is, is that you're only seeing one-third of the story because Christ died and rose on the cross to do far more than that. He didn't want to just prove that he was God. I mean, he did that 2,000 years ago. That's the proof. But there's also the promise of the resurrection. You know, the proof had to happen in the past. The promise of the resurrection has to do with the future. And the promise of the resurrection is, Jesus will resurrect me. Hello, now the story gets interesting. All of a sudden, now I'm part of the story. You know, Jesus, who has resurrected himself, has made the outrageous promise that he's going to resurrect anyone who places their trust in him. I mean, he's proved that there's life after death, but he also offers it to you and me. You know, the promise of the resurrection is that death is not the end. Jesus proved there's life beyond the grave, and he says if you will trust in him, then life isn't the end point, or death isn't the end point, it's just a transition point to eternal life. And one day your heart's going to stop beating and your life here on earth will end, but that will not be the end of you. Not if you've trusted in Christ. Jesus promised in John 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live again. Even though they die, they will live again. That's quite a promise. And I wouldn't believe it if Jesus hadn't proven it by his own resurrection. You know, somebody tells you that's, one, that's what's going to happen, but they don't prove it, then it's just words spoken into the air. But Jesus proved it can happen because it happened to him. And if Christ hadn't died on the cross and been resurrected on Easter, you and I would have zero chance of getting into heaven. 
I mean, there would be no hope of an afterlife, no eternal life at all. If Christ hadn't done that, death would be the end. But Christ proved that there is life after death. The Bible says, by his power, God raised the Lord. That's Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. And he will also raise us. You know, I'm, I'm really happy that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I really am. But I'm really, really happy that one day I'm going to get to rise from the dead. Now, it's one thing that happened to him, but he promised it'll happen to me. Now it's getting interesting. Now, all of a sudden, the story goes from black and white into color because I'm seeing that God is going to give me eternal life. And the cool thing is I don't have to do anything to get it. I don't have to earn it. It's not based on how good I am. It's not based on my effort. I mean, you do not work your way into heaven because heaven is perfect. Heaven is perfect, and you can't get into heaven unless you are perfect. And I'm not perfect, and neither are you. The only way we can get into heaven is someone makes us perfect. And that's what the cross of Christ, that's what the resurrection does for us. It gives us the righteousness. It gives us the perfection of Christ and takes away our sin. Christ paid for heaven, and God offers it to you as a free gift. Look what the Bible says in 1 Peter 1. It says, now, since his resurrection, now we live with a wonderful expectation. The first dimension of, of the resurrection uh, happened in the past. It's an event that happened in the past. The second dimension of the resurrection is an expectation that will happen in the future. It says, now, uh, we live with a wonderful expectation because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. For God has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God, in his mighty power, will protect you until you receive this salvation, because you are trusting in him. I and mean, this is a great expectation. Now, if we were honest, most great expectations here on earth turn into great disappointments. And that's really what happens. A lot of our expectations end up being disappointments. A lot of things that you expect are really going to be great aren't really as great as you thought they would be once you get there. Because everything on earth is broken. Sin has infected everything here. Nothing works perfectly here on earth. Nothing goes the way we plan it. Your body doesn't work perfectly, the weather doesn't work perfectly, the economy doesn't work perfectly, your dreams get broken, your heart gets broken. You know, a lot of things in life don't go the way that we expected them to go. There's no perfect marriage, no perfect relationship, no perfect career, no perfect plan. So here on earth, oftentimes our expectations disappoint us. You know, the anticipation of the event is always greater than the event. Have you noticed that? The anticipation is always greater than the event. Uh, you know, anticipating going to Disneyland is a lot more fun than going to Disneyland. You know, we've been there several times with our family, and, and we love to go. But, you know, you anticipate it, and you look forward to it, and then you get there, and all of a sudden you realize, man, it's hot here, and there are long lines, and some kid spills Coke down your back, and, you know, one of the kids gets diarrhea, and there's a line in the bathroom, and... Pretty soon it's hot and sweaty and you're sticky and smelly and then you realize you've overspent. And, and Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. Okay? 
And, and nothing is as good as it's cracked up to be in this world. But the Bible says this. This expectation that God gives us about the resurrection says this expectation will not disappoint us. For we know how dearly God loves us. You know, the first dimension of Easter is in the past. It's factual. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It actually happened. There were hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. That's in the past. The second dimension of Easter is in the future. It, it's eternal. God has promised that one day in the future, he's going to resurrect those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But the third dimension of Easter... You know, we've gone from black and white to color to now we are up to 3D. Easter is transformational. It can change your life. That's the power of the resurrection. Jesus offers us his power every day. Now, you may not rely on his power, but that's your problem. You, you may not access his power, but that's your loss. But Jesus offers you every day the same power that raised him from the dead. It is available to you in your daily life to help you with your problems. You know, the third dimension of Easter is it's not an event in the past. It's not an expectation in the future. It is an experience that I can have right here, right now, every day. Now, how do you know when you haven't accessed that power? Well, you have the four F's in your life. Just somewhere in your outline, just scroll these down. You have fear, frustration, fatigue, and failure. Fear, frustration, fatigue, and failure. Those are the symptoms of a life that is not plugged into the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You know, if you've got those going on, then, then that's a symptom. You know, a blender that's not plugged in is a worthless blender. A toaster that is not plugged in is just a chunk of metal. A power tool that, that is not plugged into its power source is just a piece of junk. In fact, it's not a tool that now it becomes a burden. But you get it plugged into the power source, and it's a useful tool. That's why this third dimension of the Christian life is one of the most important of all, because you cannot fulfill your purpose without being plugged into the power. And when you're not plugged into the power, you feel frustrated, because there are things in life that you just can't pull off. There are things you just can't do. You'd like to do them, but you just can't make it happen in your own power. And when you're running on your own power, you get fatigued. You get worn out and tired. I mean, your battery runs down. But God never meant for you to live life in your own power. God has a limitless power supply that he wants you to be plugged into so that you don't get fatigued. And you experience fear when you're not plugged into the power. You know, fear comes into our life when we realize that we can't control our lives. I mean, there is so much of my life that I cannot control. I, I cannot control the past. I cannot control the future. About all I can do is just screw up the present. And so there's just a tremendous amount of fear that comes into my life. I have worries and anxiety when I'm not plugged in to the power that Christ offers me. And then you experience failure. You know, sometimes my best, sometimes your best, it's just not good enough. Sometimes I, I try my hardest, but I, I just don't make it happen. Sometimes I, I try my hardest, but I don't get the job. I, I do the best I can, but I can't make the relationship work. I do my best, and I can't reach that goal. And so there are failures in life. 
frustration, fatigue, fear, and failure. Those are the symptoms of trying to live life on your own power. And, and for far too many people, they accept the proof of the resurrection, they accept the promise of the resurrection, but they haven't acquired the power of the resurrection. 2 Corinthians says Jesus included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. I mean, do you, do you even know that there is a life out there for you far better than, than maybe you have ever known? There is a life out there far better for you than a life of frustration, fear, failure, and fatigue. And the better life comes when you are plugged into resurrection power. Paul said, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Because resurrection power is the power to let go of your past. Too many people are stuck in their past. They've got grief, guilt, and grudges. They've got hurts, habits, and hang-ups from their past that are just ruining their life in the present and robbing them of their future. But you can't get on with the present. You have no hope for the future if you're stuck in the past. And the resurrection power is the power to start over. You ever wish you could just take your life like an etch-a-sketch and just flip it over and shake it and get a brand new clean slate? Yeah, that's what the resurrection offers you. You know, you don't need to turn over a new leaf. You need to turn over a new life. And that's what the resurrection offers. Resurrection power is the ability to be born again. It is a new life. Resurrection power is the power to keep going. You run out of steam before the assignment's over? You know, you, you ever run out of steam? You just think, man, I just got so much to do, I just feel like giving up. Resurrection power is the power to persevere to the end. It's the power to stay the course. It's the power to change your life. You know, there may be things in your life that you would love to change, but you haven't. And you would if you could, but you can't, and so you won't. Resurrection power gives you the power to make those changes. You know why you can't change? Because willpower only lasts for about six months. You can make changes on your own power, but they're not going to last because you have a limited supply of power, and eventually you run out. And then you go off the diet, you go off the budget, you go back to the bad habits, you go back to the bad relationships. If you're going to live the better life, the resurrection life, it takes more than willpower. It takes God's power. And again, too many people, too many Christians acknowledge the proof of the resurrection. Oh, I believe Jesus was who he said he was. You know, they, they accept the promise of the resurrection. Oh, I believe Jesus will resurrect me and take me to heaven when I die. But too few people access the power of the resurrection in their daily life. And what does that power look like? What does that resurrection life look like? Look at Ephesians 3.19. It says, May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. By his mighty power at work within us, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. I mean, those are the four characteristics given here for the life that you were meant to live. Not a life of fear, frustration, failure, and fatigue. No, no, no. This is a life where you feel completely loved by Jesus Christ all the time. You enjoy the fullness of life, the abundant life. Too many people are living in the barrenness of life. 
But God says, I want you to enjoy the fullness of life. You experience God's power in your life. You accomplish infinitely more than you ever imagined. That's the kind of life that God intended for you to live. Not just one time back in 1999 when you felt really close to God. No, God wants you to experience that every day, every moment. To be completely loved by God, to be empowered by God, and to be used by God to accomplish more than you ever thought was imaginable. How? How do you do it? Three things. One, I accept his proof. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the starting point. You start by accepting the proof. Number two, you believe the promise. You know, it's the greatest promise ever made. John 3.16, hinge pin of the Bible, a whole thing turns on John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Why? Why? That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So you believe the promise. But you don't stop there. The third thing, I count on his power on a daily basis. And you know, we've had lots of people here this week, and I don't know what everybody's going through, but I, I do know this. Life is tough. Life is hard. Life is difficult. You know, some of you are experiencing emotional difficulty. Some are, have financial difficulty. Some of you have health issues. Some of you, your marriage is about to fall apart. Some of you are about to lose your kids. You can't get into the school that you want to get into. You don't have the job that you want. And we all have many different problems. That's just part of the package. You know, even for believers. Do you know one time the Apostle Paul was so discouraged, so depressed, uh, he just had, was facing such difficulty, he just said, God, I am ready to die. Just kill me and take me out of here. I mean, he's ready to throw in the towel. He was depressed and discouraged. He's thinking, God, just kill me and take me to heaven right now. I can't bear anymore. How did Paul make it through that difficult time? The same way that you and I will make it through our difficult times. You plug into resurrection power. Look what Paul said. He said, I think you ought to know about the hard time we went through in Asia. We were really crushed. You ever feel crushed? And overwhelmed. You ever feel overwhelmed? It's like the little, little first grade boy who came home one day and he seemed upset. And his mom said, what's the matter with you, son? And uh, the teacher said, I'm overwhelmed. I, I just have too many whelms. <laughs> yeah. You ever have too many whelms? <laughs> and feared we would never live through it. You ever felt like that? We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. What? Are you telling me that being at the bottom of the barrel, being crushed, being overwhelmed, fearing you won't even live through it, that's good? Why is that good? Because the, one of the conditions for God unleashing his power in your life is you've got to quit living on your own power. You've got to admit that you need God's power. God does not give his power to arrogant people. God does not give his power to men and women who are so full of themselves that they think they can do it themselves. You know, God does not give his power to, to people who aren't humble. 
But when you humble yourself and you say, God, you are God, I am not. God, you have the power, I don't have the power. God, you can do this, but I give up. You're wise, I'm not. I am powerless to change the situation, and so I give it to you. You know, until you get to that point, you're on your own. You're on your own. God says, fine, go ahead. You think you can do it on your own? Go ahead. You know, God is not going to butt into your life uninvited. And he will let you stumble for 50 or 60 years until you finally realize, I've got to give this up, and God, you need to come into my life and do it. But the moment you say, I realize how powerless I am to change this situation, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because look what happens. He says, it's a good thing, for then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. For he can even raise the dead. And he did help us and saved us, and we expect him to do it again and again. Paul says, this wasn't a one-time miraculous event. This is something that we expect God to do again and again. This isn't an event. This is a lifestyle for us. Why? Because it says he can even raise the dead. You know, God specializes in bringing dead things back to life. God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. So what's dead in your life? What's dead in your life? If God, if God can raise a dead man, he can raise a dead marriage. If God can raise a dead man, he can raise a dead career. If God can raise a dead man, he can raise dead finances. I mean, God can do anything. He's proved that through the power of the resurrection. But most people never plug into that power. They accept the proof, they accept the promise, but they don't acquire the power. Today I want, I want to close with an Easter prayer. And, uh, and th- this prayer will not take away all your problems. I mean, you didn't get into your problems overnight. You're not going to get out of your problems overnight. That's not how life works. You know, that's why at Rockbrook we, we have our ministries like our small groups and our Get Fit groups and Celebrate Recovery and Financial Peace University. Because you've got to live out the power and the principles that God gives us in order to make the changes. So this prayer is not going to take away all your problems. The goal of this prayer is to plug you into the power. That's the key. Because you can't change until you've got God's power. So I'm going to close with a prayer. It's it's on the bottom of your outline, and I want to invite you as we pray just to bow your your heads, but don't close your eyes. Just keep your eyes open and look at this prayer and just just pray it with me uh, as we pray it to close uh, our service here. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I want to enjoy the full benefit of your death and resurrection. I thank you for what you did. I accept the proof that you are the Son of God. And I accept your promise of forgiveness and eternal life because you're the only one who paid for my sins. You deserve to be the Lord of my life. Lord, I need your power. I need the power of the resurrection in my life on a daily basis. I want to get to know you. And I want to learn to rely on your power so I can live the better life that I was meant to live. Jesus, come into my life and change me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.